When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much for checking out the series, making your way to this episode. If you're not already a subscriber, uh, I do hope you enjoy what you hear enough to hit that subscribe button. Uh, we put out brand new interviews three times a week, a brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So if, uh, if you're into keeping up with your favorite artists, discovering some new ones, or just knowing what's happening in the music world, hit that subscribe button so you can be a part of all the fun that happens right here. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today I'm going to be talking with Glass Animals. In fact, uh, lead man Dave Bailey on the line. Uh, we recorded this actually over Zoom. There's a video version if you want to check it out on YouTube as well. But we're going to be talking about the brand new record, Dreamland. Uh, the big concepts and themes that Dave uh, really enjoys getting into when he makes a record. And for this one, has a lot to do with leaning into his past, the pop culture and nostalgia growing up in Texas before, of course, moving to the UK later in life as they are a UK based band now. But we'll talk about how, at its core, it's an album about our relationships with other people and how they make us who we are. 
But with that and the nostalgia, we'll talk about the tourism of nostalgia. Uh, one of my uh, favorite moments on this, he named a, a song after the cartoon Space Ghost Coast to Coast. One of my all-time favorites, and, and we'll talk about that, but also the culture of weird that came out of that uh, specific time in the, uh, the mid-late 90s. Uh, a culture of weird that really went on to influence pop culture and animation uh, specifically uh, throughout uh, time and into now. There's also a bit about all of the records that meant the most to him growing up and how they're all a part of this album, not just in the inspiration of the songs and the lyrics, but actually specifically the instruments he chose to use to record the music. We talk about this mind-bending thing of creating the overture first, using an alter ego that he calls Wavy Davy, and other songwriting tools like uh, imagining that you're writing for other specific artists. And he'll tell us about some ideas of a future concept possibilities, one involving uh, maybe a space EP. And then there's the merchandise. With the, uh, with the lockdown and the quarantine, Glass Animals have been having a lot of fun getting creative with merchandise that goes everything from sneakers to Pez dispensers and candles and so much more. So let's get into this, talking about this record called Dreamland. It's Kyle Meredith with Glass Animals. Hey, man, I'm, I'm really enjoying Dreamland. I'm loving what you're doing oh, here. Oh, that's great news. Yeah. I mean, you do something really interesting every single record. There's always a, seems to be a grand concept in, in, in some sort of way, at least on, the, on, on this one and the last one, too. I wrote down a line here, and I want to see how close I am, because I wrote down, an, it seems to be an album about who we are, who we're not, and how it relates to our relationships. How close is that? I think that's pretty spot on actually i mean it's quite personal and it's it's definitely that about like myself but i hope that other people can see themselves in it and relate to those things i don't think any of i don't think any of the situations i talk about are particularly unique or anything everyone knows people like the people i'm talking about in the album and pretty self-critical in there but yeah hopefully it allows people to do all that to themselves and i don't know think about themselves a bit well, that's, that's the thing I get because on, on so many of these songs, it's it's not like you're ever apologizing for who you are, but it's almost like, you know, the points in your life where you're not comfortable exactly with who you are. And, it, and it's almost like, it seems to me like some, some of these moments are like a pep talk of saying, you know, just do you, you know, be you, which I think is an important message. Yeah, maybe it's a kind of acceptance. I don't know. I'm trying to get, basically appreciate that out of a lot of those like chaotic and really confusing moments comes generally the most exciting stuff in your life like the big things tend to happen then big changes like you you realize something and yeah that's what makes you who you are and can't always change that (laughs) well it makes for you know an interesting multi-layer kind of listen uh, as i was saying and for anyone who doesn't know uh, i don't know how i went at this point about this uh what's going on in this record but um uh, as a bit of your bio goes, you grew up in Texas, you moved later on over to the UK, but this, uh, this record hits a lot about uh, that moment in your youth. And, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure you're age. so I'm 38. So a lot of what you're talking about here is also my youth, you know, and, 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 and a lot of the nostalgia, uh, especially uh, what's happening in here. And, and that's, that's what, it, I mean, you, you've painted this like a nostalgic memoir of your life. What, why, why did you choose to go that route? It just happened really. Like I, our drummer had a really terrible accident. Like my best friend Joe, he was in a terrible, terrible accident, and we didn't know if he'd survive. 
I didn't know if he'd make any sort of recovery at all. And I went immediately as soon as I heard that it happened. I went to see him in the hospital and I was just in the hospital. Uh, yeah, sitting in the waiting room for weeks waiting for news. And I think in those situations, you um, it's kind of like lockdown. Mm-hmm. Like the future looks terrible. We had to cancel everything and uh, all the shows, all the recording stuff that we had. Uh, yeah, just the future looked really dark in, and unknown in the same way that it sort of does now in this COVID pandemic era. And I think in those situations, your mind just kind of naturally goes back into the past. You, you're not out creating new memories because we're all locked down. The future looks shit. So you just, you lean back into the past and you like relive those old experiences. And that what that is kind of what makes you feel human, I guess. Mm. Um, I don't know. I feel like we need to experience something to be human. And also people have like crazy dreams because of that, I think. Your mind, yeah, your mind just wanders through the past and like recreates it in your head. And it was just all that nostalgic stuff, memories and things, that's what was coming into my head when that happened. And so when it came time to write a record, it was like, it was just there. It's interesting because another one of the uh, things that you've said about this, a line that I really caught on to is you called it the tourism of nostalgia. And I've never really thought of it like that. Like, <laughs> like I've struggled less this time like there was a point in my life where i tried to reject nostalgia so hard like i wouldn't you know listen to the old stuff i wouldn't let myself watch the old movies or or you know just go that direction even though it was comfortable but once you do you really do become a tourist there i mean there's a detachment to it so i was i was going to ask like you know yeah in regards to you like what did you have in mind when you called it the tourism of nostalgia it was exactly that exactly that feeling i feel like when you go back and look at those memories you don't definitely not seeing them the same in the same way you feel like voyeuristic almost you feel really distant from that person in those memories a lot of the time like i i don't know there are a lot of things that i like look back and i was like whoa i did that i was a i was an asshole <laughs> like an idiot i i'm so not that person anymore and thank god and yeah just you just feel really distant from a lot of those those memories you feel like you've come a long way and that that Mulholland Drive. That's what I, I talked about Mulholland Drive in the first song. It, it nods to that movie, and it's that it's that feeling that that movie gives you. Yeah, exactly. You you nailed it. And of course, another one of your uh, songs. I mean, you, you've called it straight out Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Yeah. So this is one of my all-time favorites, and I was so happy because you don't find a lot of people who did. I mean, Space Ghost got a lot of fans, don't get me wrong, but it's not like it was the most main... It wasn't like to the Ren and Stimpy level of that type of, you know, animation and, and cartoon or whatever. But there's something that I go back and that how weird it was and how it captured something in a moment in time that seemed to transform. Like, people grabbed onto that weird and, and ran with it wholeheartedly. There was that whole, like, Adult Swim era. There was that. There was, what, like, C-Lab right. 20. 21 or something right. is that what it was called which yeah is, it was meant to be set in the future but that's you know that's now <laughs> um which i find quite funny yeah it was just all that adult swim stuff and i i do think it's sort of bre- it's bred this more popular style of of cartoon and tv now in like adventure time and uh rick and morty and that kind of stuff as well uh but yeah it was pretty it was pretty niche at the time which <laughs> it's just like me and my mate we also were too young to really understand anything that was on adult swim we just thought it was kind of jokes and we're discovering what teenagers discover uh, i don't want to say anything illicit but did you find that you gravitated towards the weirder side of things like that definitely i think that came i i wasn't really 
a naturally fitting in kind of kid at school. This was Texas and I was like, I didn't hit puberty till I was, I don't know, like, I mean, I'm still getting there. <laughs> um, Good luck. My voice is still breaking. Um, so I did. I just didn't fit in. I like to fit in in Texas. You got to do sports, basketball, and you have to like drive a car. Like I didn't. I was also super young for my eight for my class. I was like a year younger than everyone else, just because of where my birthday sat. And yeah, just wasn't really into all that sports stuff. So I sort of found these pockets of otherness and that that was stuff like that and music right that's why i got into music yeah you just put your headphones on you feel i don't know it makes you feel like you got friends and uh well dr dre that's what i was listening to mainly <laughs> dre makes it into this record i mean the references like you get, i think that's what's so fun because finding the references all the way through this record i mean it's almost like you got to keep a notebook for a, you know a second to, to find out what's going on and then hunt it down like you know like even you know Raise one thing, uh, Jordan and Pippin, you know, and, and I, I'm sure you watched The Last Dance. Did you did you catch that the uh, documentary? I did, yeah, I still haven't finished it. I got like uh, maybe halfway through and then just ran out. I haven't had time oh. so, like, to keep up, but I am so as soon as like Christmas holidays come, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish that one off. <laughs> because that, I mean that's that's part of the fun thing about this, and I, and I, I want to hit on that word again, nostalgia, because you know for one thing of being the tourism of of a tourist of having that detachment, but it's also this portal of time travel, and I think that's where the music plays the part for me. Like you know I've got a wall of cassettes behind me, and I'm pretty sure I could uh, <laughs> put on any one of these right now and put in my headphones. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in that year, in that moment, you know, living that. And as a musician, how do you accomplish? How do you make that happen for you as well? That's, I, I get transported really quickly by music. That's kind of why, I, part of the reason I love it. It's like, it's, that's one of the magical things about it. But with respect to this record, I guess I, I was just trying to go through and really think about what that backbone stuff was, what those backbone records were to my life that like I haven't, left behind i still love i still listen to like every cup you know i listen i listen to the beach boys pretty much every day um and that kind of built the foundation of the sounds of the record and that's all really transportational for me so i, I went out and got like, all the instruments that the beach boys would have used i've got more here i've got like oh this is actually a beatles one mm-hmm. an old beatles mm-hmm. bass and i've got like racks of old stuff over here and some old uh I mean, I can take you on a small tour. <laughs> it's like Mellotron, classic Beatles, Beach Boys stuff, and then some like samplers that some of the new hip hop guys would have used. That's the backbone for me is like Beatles, Beach Boys, Nina Simone, Dr. Dre and Timberland, and the Neptunes. <laughs> um, so I went out and just got all that stuff as, as close as I could to that kind of stuff, stuff that makes those sounds. And I was resampling all the Beatles and Beach Boys stuff through those new hip hop newer hip-hop pieces of equipment and then re-recording that back through all these old preamps and things that the Beatles and the Beach Boys would have used and uh, kind of Motown-y sounding stuff too and then through that just kind of had this bed of nostalgic sounds so that formed the backbone and then when I was writing a song about a certain era I would go and just think about what I was listening to in that era and I'd try to pull some of that some of that in so you can hear also I think you can hear like the strokes I think you can hear a bit of Radiohead you can hear Every, pretty much without talking heads in there for sure yeah. but at the same time like like it doesn't sound like a throwback record in that way i mean there's you know having all those sounds and again a very fun thing to listen for 
but as a whole, like if I didn't know that, if you hadn't told me that and I just put it on, it still sounds like a, you know, a 2020 record in a way. And, and I think oh, that's, that's got to be the biggest trick. I don't know if trick's the right word, but it's, I mean, there has to, I mean, was there a point where you say, okay, but it can't sound like, you know, like when uh, Amy Winehouse come uh, along and, and, you know, the Daptone horns and all that stuff. And they were sort of trying to sound like that era. Like, it, yeah, you don't do that. And how important was that? That was important. It was always meant to be a like a hybrid, a fusion. I had no idea. It could have been a terrible thing. I have, <laughs> I have no idea. Could, sometimes you mix two things and it just doesn't work. Um, but in this case, I think it, I think it worked. Yeah, I found a way to make it work. And it was always trying to use all of those older bits of equipment, but in a modern way. I was always using like an Ableton or a Logic and trying to just, yeah, I don't know, freshen it, freshen those sounds up a little bit. Heavy, big sub bass. Love that. Well, on that very first track too, I mean, uh, right off the bat, you, you put together an overture for the album. So did you do that? You didn't do that first, right? I mean, th did that come after all the songs were done and you were like, oh, I can take these pieces and make it into one song? How was it? What was that process like? Oh, what for the, you mean for like Dreamland? For yeah, the yeah, yeah. Title track. That was, yeah, that was the first song done. I, I kind of write in this way where I get the whole idea for the record in my head. And I have like bits and pieces, like little fragments of lyrics, little melodies, chords that I want to use. And I was thinking, yeah, you just kind of start piling all this stuff. And I think when you have a concept that's strong enough, they really, the ideas really pile up from everything, from like the words you're going to use to what kind of intervals you're going to use and the melodies to what kind of chords you want to use. And that helps tie it all together. And then you just throw it up. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how I do it. I just sit down and I locked myself in this room for a few months and just chucked it up onto onto tape. But because I had all the ideas and kind of knew what I wanted to talk about before really doing that regurgitation process, when it came time to write the first song, I um, I thought it would be interesting to like try a table of contents. So it was that was first, and I got halfway through and was like, okay, I should stop here, finish the record, and then come finish this off at the end. So that's how, that song like sandwiched the whole process. I wrote the first half of the song, or maybe like the first two thirds, and knew what kind of chords I wanted to present in this song. I just wanted to present everything, all the ideas, all the like themes, musically and lyrically, melodic themes, the sounds, everything. And I just sat down and basically wrote the summary, yeah. the first half of the summary. And then at the end of the album making process, I kind of made a bit of a conclusion. I mean, like, if you were writing a book, you would have basically said, I wrote the table of contents and then I wrote the book off of that. Like that's, to me, that yeah. seems like such the reverse way to do that, you know, like it's... it's that's what happened. Yeah. I, I like that. It's like, I don't know, maybe it's just a more organized way of doing things that I've never really thought of before. Like maybe when people write books, they should write the table of contents first and structure the whole, like it's like an essay plan uh -huh. or something, you know, when you're in school and they're like, write your title in the middle and then you draw a line out and it's this and yeah i guess it was kind of like a weird essay plan but then you go back and adjust it at the end mm -hmm. so it fits mm -hmm. how important is the concept you know i talked about that a little bit at the beginning of the interview like like is it do you do you prefer to have sort of a grand idea going into a record instead of just a series of songs or is that just how it's worked out i really like to have a grand. i think you can say a lot more um and i think songs mean a lot more in context and it also allows you to do more interesting and subtle things. I think it's the same. Yeah, it's the same as like a short story versus a 
This is a novel with chapters. I like the novel. I like the long form. The chapters should kind of stand alone as interesting things in themselves, but it's just yeah, you can you can get through a lot more and contextualize things really nicely. And, and it seems like conceptual form. Yeah, after something like this, like the most obvious place to go is more of like the rock opera. Like what's keeping you from from doing That's that? That's what's work? happening. Yeah, the, the arc, you know. <laughs> just wait for the next one. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know about that. My manager would behead me or something. It just, uh, I don't know. It didn't seem like that'd be that big of a step for you. They, <laughs> I don't want to get a hold of ourselves. You know, Dreamland is new and it's it's here and everything. But do you have an idea of like future concepts that you would want to tackle like that? Like, does it work like that? I have ideas for that stuff. And quite often I find I like try and tackle them. Like before I started this album, I was kind of toying around with writing this record about space. And I got loads of like space equipment. Like uh, you can see, there's a space synth right behind me yeah. there. Jupiter Six classic space sounds coming out of that beast. But yeah, I had this whole idea about space, and it just didn't have enough weight. Like I, I wrote a couple of like six songs, and I was like, oh, there's not enough depth in this to keep going. So maybe there's like a, a space EP or something that will come. Yeah, and I have other ideas, but I have tried a lot of things and. There just isn't enough in them sometimes. This one had enough. I don't I just, yeah, nostalgia and memory definitely had a lot in it. The space thing has been interesting because I've noticed that is that is in the artistic zeitgeist. And I've actually talked with this now for a few artists about this. Um, oh, really? Yeah, because, so my, my theory on it, and I don't know if this is the, the, the direction you were trying to come from in that, but because of what's happening currently, around us just our environments obviously politically and everything it seems to me like if you take the uh, the carl sagan pale blue dot sort of you know if you go far away from earth and you just see how silly all of this is it, it's some sort of escapism I, I find for a lot of artists and, and and they're sort of going there like a lot of them a lot of people are, are you saying it's like a, everyone's having an existential crisis a bit <laughs> yeah i i definitely had that a little bit when i was maybe that's why i stopped writing the space stuff so it just makes you feel path totally pathetic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I have seen a lot of, but you know, it's also been done a lot. To if you're gonna write a concept, you write a space concept, right? That's that's yeah. Sort of what you Dark do. Dark the moon kind of smashed it out of the park, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just not. It doesn't have the like soul mm -hmm. space yet. Not yet. Maybe we'll all move in and start like writing. I don't know. Space will get some kind of human warmth to it but right now it's just cold it's it's cold it's space i just i don't know i wanted to do something a bit more human i think especially when like after joe had that accident i just didn't i don't know it felt better to write write about the things that are close to you because it made you realize how important all of that is and i space isn't that important to me right now <laughs> to be more human though you did create another human uh could, could you tell me who wavy davy is Oh wow, yeah, that's my uh, it's my Sasha Fierce. I, I'm sure everyone knows about Beyonce's mm -hmm. alter ego, Sasha Fierce. I just think that there are some things I can't pull off as a uh, quiffy, blonde British Jew. I just don't necessarily have the the swagger to <laughs> to do most things that require swagger. And one of those things was singing on that song. Tokyo Drifting, which is just a heavy beat. I did it. I did it for someone else's project, and 
it didn't get used in the end and then I had a melody idea and I was like Look, okay I'll try this melody but if I'm going to write words for this I need to I need to find a way in mm-hmm. and so I just invented this alter ego wavy, wavy Davy who is, uh, tries to have swagger and then ultimately um, I realised I couldn't actually have swagger so I, I got Denzel <laughs> I asked Denzel if he'd help and he absolutely yeah blew it out of the park he sh- comes on and like shows what actual swagger is but you know some part of performing i mean there's always a bit of character a bit of theatricalness that goes there like the idea of uh, of uh, a musician using an alter ego I, I think that's something that more artists could benefit from um and that's not a criticism of anyone you know it's just one of those things like it seems like that opens a door for you to be able for any artist to be able to get out of a comfort zone to to write past their natural parameters or something like that so much yeah I, th- I think it's a really good thing to try the other thing that's really worth trying is writing songs as if you were writing for someone else uh, like so there's no pressure on you writing something for yourself for your own project Cause I think that's quite stifling and sometimes you sit down you're like all right I'm gonna write this song for BTS <laughs> something like totally just choosing totally other other world and um, it's quite it is quite freeing because you just have no restraints. I don't know. It stops you putting up these boundaries. Like, oh, I I wouldn't do that for myself, and you stop saying those kind of things. And like, I'm uncomfortable with this. You just lose all that inhibition, and it is a really nice tool. I've been doing that a lot, and actually, that was kind of initiated by writing for other people and the fact mm-hmm. doing some other writing projects anyway. And you just start to realize that that's a really cool. It's a really cool tool. Are you still writing for other people during all of this? I mean, it seems like that would be an easy sort of career thing to do at this moment. Yeah, the album's kept, kept us so busy, much busier than I thought. I, th- I thought we were gonna like release the record and then it was just gonna be like, okay, what's next? Write another one? I don't know. But it's, it's kept us so busy. There's so much stuff happening and um, we're actually fi- finding like these new ways to replace touring because touring was that ultimate way to, yeah, go show people the record and hang out with people and we're just finding new ways of doing that and that is really fun but it does take up time so just find new ways to use the internet and um, I'm really enjoying that but yeah writing for other people everyone is sitting at home and is ready to go so there's a lot of collaborative stuff going down going in the uh, Instagram DMs it's all flooding in all (laughs) sorts of stuff stuff I never would have thought and some of it is like some of its music some of it is like candles so someone got in touch about making a candle so right. we do a dreamland candle this is the latest this is a pez dispenser with my head on top pez collab i don't know what's going on like everyone wants we made some shoes with the, with the brand who reached out the other day they're here um i have like a hundred of these so they're all awesome now. yeah i like it's not just music but lo- yeah loads of collaborative stuff is happening a lot of music too. Before you become the big entrepreneur, here. yeah, this is. Well, it's just it's it's fun. I don't know, and it all gives. Co- we're trying to do stuff that like gives context to the music, mm-hmm. and you know, Pez is super nostalgic, and I think fits in well in these types of shoes as well. Like that's why I grew. I grew up wearing Converse and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So. I'll, I'll wrap up here. There was one part I, I meant to ask though uh, about that nostalgic, and and I didn't know if it had anything to do with it, but Little Nemo in Dreamland. It was one of my all-time favorite NES games. It's a comic that goes back to the early 1900s. Were you aware of that at all? Of, of Little Nemo in Dreamland? No, what is that? Yeah, Should look I, it I'm up. I'm going to write this down. Yeah. But what, is it 
Nothing to do with Finding Nemo? No, no, no. Little Nemo started as a comic strip in the early okay. 1900s. It was one of the first colorized comic strips. Um, and uh, it's it's sort of stayed under the mainstream radar, but but in the late 80s, early 90s, NES, for some reason, picked it up and made this just beautiful game out of it that still, uh, you know, stands the test of time today. It's a fun one. Um, I'm going to check that out because... And totally, you know, it system, totally fits I have all in. the old gaming systems, too. I have, yeah. like... I actually used like had some I don't know I tried to like recreate the sounds of a lot of those a lot of those systems for the wreck you can hear little sound effects and things yeah. like that. Yeah, check that out yeah. sometime. David, it was great talking to you. Land. Yeah, it, it was so great talking to you about this. Congratulations on this record. It's such a fun listen to do, you know, oh, to, to get into what you're doing here. I'm so glad you like it. Thanks for having me on the on the show. It's been it's been fun. Thanks, Kyle. Bye bye bye. Now, the last time Dave and I caught up was all the way back in 2015. It had been a while. In fact, this was during their debut album, Zabba. We talked about that. And hip-hop, sexy beats, the hidden meanings within their lyrics. So I'm going to include that here as part two, Kyle Meredith with Glass Animals. Hey. How you doing, sir? Really good. How are you? I'm great. And it's a, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, you. This record, I feel like, has come out of nowhere for a lot of us. Uh, Zabba is out, which, I don't know, feels like... Again, out of nowhere, but you guys have been working on it for a few years now with a, f- a couple EPs and, and everything. Does it? Yeah. But from start to here, has it felt like just one big rush, or have you had time to go? All right, we're we're taking this on our own time. I mean, initially, initially we were like that. We didn't want to rush actually making the record, so yes. we did release those EPs, which were you know we were experimenting right. with how to how to use all this equipment and stuff that we'd never seen before in the studios. And um, yeah, since the album's come out, it's been. Yeah, I haven't sat down. I guess it's the whole thing about there wasn't a lot of history for you guys before you were signed and you were working on everything and the uh, the press started to happen. Uh, you know, a lot of bands have to put in the years of uh, you know the grueling road work, the dues and all of that. But uh, it looks like you guys kind of got lucky on that. You know, we got a bit. That's lucky. the perception yeah. anyway. Yeah, right. Uh, I, there's a huge element of luck in. Yeah you know, being in a band in general, and um, we did get lucky. But, I, you know, we do we do work really hard as yeah. well. Oh, no doubt. And like I said, it shows uh, on the record, uh, which is which is fantastic. It, it's got, I mean, I guess it's sounds that we're familiar with, but it doesn't sound like anything else going on right now, which is, which is awesome. Oh, that's good, yeah. I guess, yeah. No, which is great. Uh, th- there's kind of a story about you guys, though, that you didn't mean to be in a band. Like, the, you know, from what I read, there was never this thing where, you know, from early childhood, you're like, I want to be a great rock star. Yeah. I mean, it was always seen as an impossible dream yeah. for us. Or we went to, you know, we grew up together, me and the other guys in the band, and um, we spent years going to see our favorite bands together and talking about new music. And we obviously all thought it would be great to be a rock star, but we were brought up in families that told us it was just an impossible dream, never be able to touch it. It's for idiots. So, uh, which is something that kind of stokes the fire. You know, once you get going, like, we'll show you. A a little bit. I don't know, I'm still still trying to convince my mum that it's a a good career choice. So when when you you finally decided, okay, so we're going to be a band and everything, and I won't say you got started late in the game, but the way it happens again, you know, the way it looks and everything, which is kind of a fun story. when you said, all right, we're going to be a band, were, was there ever that moment of, of like going back and like, okay, now let's learn how to be a band. Let's, let's read the rock history. Let's, let's try to, you know, watch all the bios and all this stuff and figure out how to do this. Or, you know, what's the learning curve for when you just like, today we're a band. Today let's try this. Today let's um, make noise. Yeah, I see. I mean, I, 
we've very much just done things in a way that feels comfortable yeah. to us. We started off being a band not knowing anything about the music industry, not knowing anyone in the music industry. None of us had ever been in bands before. So, you know, we were starting from scratch. Um, and we just had to use our gut instinct about, you know, choosing our team, choosing our label. We went with people who we found really homely and stuff instead of people who we knew were great, uh, like producers, a, a great label with a great reputation. We just went with the people that we actually liked personally, um, which I'm guessing most of the bands probably don't do. They kind of just take what's offered to them a lot of time because that's, that's what they get, you know? Yeah, so we... It goes back to that luck of the draw type of thing. Yeah, exactly. We chose a manager who'd never managed a band before, for instance, and just lots of things. I, I think, yeah, we very much ignored all of the, what, you know, the history of what other bands have done right. because we were naive, I think. It seems to have worked out all right for you. It's going all right, yeah. Sometimes we all have to sit down in a group and think, so who can we ask to help us with this yeah. problem because we're also inexperienced? Right. So, so then uh, so the new record stuff gets, gets made and everything. What is interesting about this record is it, on paper, it shouldn't, like, I'm in a radio world. I come from the radio yeah. world. This shouldn't be a radio record. Yet you have this song, Gooey. That that works really well, and in you know a few other tracks on it, pools works really great on the radio. For for you guys, and and I'm gonna do a, these kids these days mm, type of a yeah. question here, but but is is that even on your radar that you say, oh, we have to make something that's gonna be pushed, you know, that's gotta be accessible for masses, like a, a, for a radio song or a single yeah. or something like that. Is that a or are you you know it's like it's like you know, uh, you guys do great on hype machine and and you know these other barometers I guess at this point it was absolutely not on our minds yeah. when we were making the record any of the songs we we wanted to make an album that we found interesting and we really liked if we were going to have to play it every day at live shows we'd have to True. like it and we didn't want to make any compromises or sacrifices to to anyone even be it someone at the label who was saying you know put in three choruses for the beginning of the right. song and another chorus at the end and another chorus. And just like, yeah, we didn't want to do anything that we didn't really want to do. Yet it's still catchy um, in I, its own way. Maybe, I, I, that's good. I think that's just a, maybe a, an artifact of how, how I listen to music. I like music that is catchy. I think everyone probably does. Sure, sure, to a point. I also yeah, like music yeah. that's really weird. But I, I find, you know, I don't really understand why people find certain things catchy. You can play a riff on one instrument and it sounds like rubbish. You can play a riff on another instrument and it's like an earworm. It just spins around your head all day. And I have no idea why that happens. But when you find something that works and that is catchy, you have to play with it. You have to use it. Sure. So maybe that's kind of been brought into the into I guess music. It's, it's dangerous thinking too much about that because then you get into the math of it, the science and the math. Like, what is what is the, the yeah. exact formula that makes a brain hear that? No, and that destroys music. You right. can't overthink it. It all has to be kind of gut instinct. Yeah. Were you all aware of the sex appeal of this record while you were making it? Because these are sexy songs. Are they? Like babies will be yeah, made to okay. this record, I am <laughs> sure of it. Um, I've always found that pretty interesting. Yeah, I definitely didn't set out to write sexy baby making music. I mean, I was listening to some sexy albums while I was making the record, like yeah. D'Angelo Voodoo. I think great sexy record. Sexy record. Um, How's it? More babies weren't named right after him. You know? Yeah, there should be a lot more <laughs> D'Angelos in the world, shouldn't they? Maybe, I think maybe uh, titles yeah, of the songs. Probably too. my first son or daughter, even. I don't mind. But uh, yeah, it's. I think that must have crept in accidentally. I. There was definitely no 
conscious sexiness yeah. going on. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the nice uh, contrast to that type of uh, mood, though, is uh, when, you, when you start to look into these lyrics, which I know has, there, there's yeah. a lot of spotlight on your lyrics. Uh, and, and I've read from what various things of, uh, you know, writing uh, from a character's point of view and uh, taking these from certain books that you were reading. But you know when you come and, and you and you you know have that line, uh, my little Pooh Bear and everything. You're like, yeah. Does he talk like this? Is this how they talk in the van? You know? um, <laughs> not so much. I I think I probably do use really weird analogies quite a lot. Yeah. But the when you're writing lyrics, you're essentially writing a poem. And the other thing about writing lyrics is that you have a certain amount of time to write. You know, you, you can't write a kind of 18 minute song. Oh, you could, but. Um, if you were Dylan, you I don't it, have the attention span, right. yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. So you have a certain number of words to play with, and you have to somehow get your story across in a, in a limited number of words. So you end up, well, I end up using lots of strange analogies. And Pooh Bear is just one way of, you know, Pooh Bear has a personality, a, a huge personality. He's, he bumbles through life. He's addicted to honey. He can't, he can't avoid honey if someone dangles honey in front of him. He just chases it, and he's naive and a bit a bit silly and daft. And it's a way of attributing all of those characteristics to the character in the, in the song in two words, sure. instead of spending a, you know, three paragraphs doing it. And then you get the, uh, the, the, the imagery is there of him pulling the hand out of the honey and there and just sticking and stretching. And yeah, it was yeah. also a play on that. It was it's a very intelligent record. I mean, the way it's all laid out. I, I, feel, like, I feel like if you were an actual band in the 60s, when, when people really had time and without space of internet or anything to get obsessed about lyrics, they would have been crazy. Do you think maybe? psychotic about what you had written in the best, you know, most flattering way? Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very kind. Is okay. it is it ever the point to you though when you're kind of cloaking it in these type of words that that you say that you're worried about it connecting to your to the audience? You know how it's. You know how if if they can interpret it at all, or you know, is that a thing, or is it kind of like let's take it as it is? I'm gonna let you take it as it is, and you have to see it like this. Do you want them to understand it? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I actually didn't want people to understand it. Yeah, that was that was the the reason behind getting quite abstract and quite cryptic a lot of the time. I think maybe that's fading away now. That I was I was just very nervous initially about people understanding what I was talking about. I guess I was shy, yeah. um, and I didn't want people to have that window into my soul, my head, or whatever. Um, so Says the front man. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm getting over it. So the, yeah. the lyrics in the future might be a bit a bit rawer, maybe, perhaps. But yeah, that's, that's what, the third record where you, you bury your soul. And second record's the road yeah. record. Third the what record, record? The road record. The road you know, record. All oh, the songs are about yeah. the, the road. That's, that's probably, yeah. Oh, gosh. Different <laughs> cities. It's coming. <laughs> uh, it, it, it does... Um, Veer is cl uh, awful close to hip-hop, uh, you know, the, the, the style beats, I guess you want to say. Yeah. And I feel like we're, we're in an age now where, where hip-hop and, and rock indie, whatever, whatever you guys might fall into, but it, it's, it's so much more closer than it's ever been, uh, you know, the strange bedfellows kind of thing. It's like, what's, aside from the rapping, what's keeping you guys from being a hip-hop act at this point? Because you're, you're working with rappers, too. Working with so rappers. So I mean, I, I asked that yeah. half serious, you know, what's, what's, what's the defining line there? What's keeping you guys from just being more that than anything else? Um, I'm not, I've, I have a huge love for guitar music mm. and old kraut rock and old psychedelic music. Yeah. So that's probably, I mean, I think Every, all the production kind of ends up having that skew as well. Um, but I, I listen to so much hip hop. All the all the <laughs> drums start off as programmed hip hop beats, 
that I do on my computer and um, all my favorite producers are big hip hop producers. Yeah. So there's definitely that. For, su for such an interesting, unique sound that you guys have, and this is probably an impossible question for you to answer, do you see, so glass animals last for 20, 30 years, you know, it, it seems more of a, a conceptual art piece of a band than just a band. Would it kind of live in this similar sound the entire time? Or, or do you see it being able to do all of these different things? I think it'll evolve. I mean, I might start I mean, rapping. again, that's, you might start <laughs> rapping. Yeah, I, it'll definitely evolve. I, I get, I have the attention span of a flea. Yeah. So it, you know, I've kind of explored one world of sounds and I, I'm going to want to move on. I, mean, I don't, I don't ex especially see you guys doing like the big glam rock album, but... but Maybe not, no. I've, <laughs> I'm going to pack away my Lycra bodysuit for another couple of years, but there, there are definitely other areas of other genres and other like new sound. I'm always looking for new sounds. Yeah. I start to get a bit, yeah, but, but you right now at the moment, for instance, there's a lot of kind of electronic sort of 80s style sounds creeping in and I automatically try to steer away from that. Right. Um, so it's just what happens now that we've made this record with this certain soundscape, I'm going to automatically want to steer away from it, I think. and. I, I imagine because it's the four of us making another record, it'll still have glass right. animalsiness to it, hopefully. And again, here I am asking about next records when this one just came out. Just came out. Just yeah. came out. So let, Give let, us a let's, bit of time. Let's maybe. concentrate on Zev and everything. But, but it is. Uh, glass Animals, like I said, I, I do see it as more than just a band. It's become this, mo this art piece, the, uh, the artwork that goes along with the, uh, the videos, the whole thing. It's a really awesome thing you've put together. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we work hard to keep everything really cohesive and, and in just ev keep everything in the same world, everything complementing everything else. Yeah. So yeah, the live show, we're you know, finally getting to the point where we can play venues where we can really start doing interesting things yeah. with the stage design and things like that. Once the stadium tour happens, just let it all out. It's gonna be, it's gonna be insane, yeah. Dave, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks it's very nice much. nice to have you on here. My thanks, Dave Bailey, again, the brand new Glass Animals record is called Dreamland. Thanks to you as well for checking out this episode and this series. Before you get out, uh, if you're not already, please do hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with us. Again, you can find us at any major podcast hotspot, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, wherever you like to get your podcasts from. Then after that, head to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all of them at Kyle Meredith. Hope you like and follow along there as well. That does it for another edition of Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.